Well, we are going to get into God's Word this morning, another beautiful thing that God has given us, His Word. And I'm going to ask you to stand one more time in honor of His Word as I read our passage for today. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 17 through chapter 313, which is the entire third chapter of 1 Thessalonians. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brethren, In all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now, we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return, for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now... May our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another, for all people, and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Will you pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks for the truth that you've given us in your word. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to hear. And I ask you, Lord, to give me clarity of thought. Help me to share with your people the truth that you want us all to know and to learn and to apply to our lives. May we do that with joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. This is how Paul succinctly describes the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaimed to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaimed to you, unless you believed for no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, he puts it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's that word saved again. In both those passages, we saw saved. Saved from what? Saved from God's wrath. Saved from God's righteous judgment against sin, which we all deserve. If you have believed the gospel, if you are here today and you have believed the gospel, you have believed the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins, took your punishment on the cross so that you can be forgiven and have your relationship with God restored, then, as the New Testament says in many, many other places, you have received eternal life, and you have been, very importantly, you have been adopted into God's family. You are God's child. You are no longer his enemy, but you are a fellow heir with Jesus Christ of all those riches that Larry was talking about earlier. The gospel gives the believer the hope of eternal life as a member of God's family. But it's important for us to recognize that it also places us right now in relationship with each other as brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters in Christ And this is an eternal relationship, both with God and with each other. And it begins as soon as we put our faith in Christ and are born again. Remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. As we are born into our earthly families through natural birth, We are born into our spiritual family, God's family. We are brothers and sisters by spiritual birth. It is a relationship that begins by faith, but it is founded on love. Founded on love. It is founded on God's love for us. That is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. It is founded on our response of love for him, and then in our love for each other. Yeah, The last time I shared with you in November, we considered what I called the most important question. The most important question for us. And that question I shared with you was Jesus asking us, do you love me more than anything else? Do you love me? That is the most important question for us to ask, answer for ourselves. Do you love me more than anything else? And we looked at how love for Christ is the foundation of our relationship with him. We are not just followers of Jesus. We love Jesus. You can follow someone without loving them. Did you know that? We're not just followers of Jesus. We love Jesus. We are uh, we are all, we also saw that love for Christ shapes our lives. It is our love for Christ that forms all of our other loves. Whether that love is for people, 
whether it is for pursuits, what we want to pursue in this life, whether it is for pleasures, our love for Christ shapes all of our other loves. And it is our love for Christ we saw that redefines death. We are, we no longer fear death because it is merely the doorway through which we enter into the presence of eternal love himself, Jesus Christ. Today, in Paul's expression of love and concern for the Thessalonian believers, his brothers and sisters in Christ, I believe that we see our most important earthly relationship. And that is the title of my message this morning. Our most important earthly relationship. And I believe that to be, from Scripture itself, our relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And if you, if that gives you pause for a moment, um, just wait and let me work through this passage to help you see where I am coming from and where I believe Paul is coming from, okay? We are currently studying First Thessalonians in men's Bible study, and we're having a great time. <clears throat> um, one of the things that Pastor Thomas has been doing as we've been studying First Thessalonians is each week he uh, asks for a volunteer to kind of summarize the passage that we are studying with a five-minute devotional. And it just so happened that the five-minute devotional that I gave was on this passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 2.17 through 3.13. And as I was contemplating and working my way through it, um, I thought to myself, this would be a great companion message to the one that I just preached last November. Just preached last November. Um, and so you men who are in the study, and there's quite a few men. We've had up to 20 men in that study. It's been wonderful. It's been a great time. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, you men will recognize this outline that I'm going to be working through this text with. But obviously, I'm going to be expanding it quite a bit from the five-minute devotional that I shared with you that evening. But uh, what I see in this text are three emphases that are rooted in this eternal relationship, brother and sister relationship, into which we enter when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, the, the three emphases are broken down in verses 17, 217 through 35. And what we see first is what I would call a grievous separation. A grievous separation. And in verses 6 through 10 of chapter 3, we hear good news. Good news. And then in verses 11 through 13, to finish it out in chapter 3 there, we read Paul's gracious benediction. So a grievous separation, good news, and then a gracious benediction. But before we get into the meat of our study this morning, I want to begin with some background, and then I want to look at two important aspects of the gospel that really frame what Paul is uh, saying here. The church in Thessalonica was planted on Paul's second missionary journey. It was the second city that he visited after Philippi in Europe. Philippi was the first city that Paul went to in Europe. Thessalonica was the second. 
And in Philippi, if you remember, if you're familiar with the story, Paul and Silas ended up being beaten and put into jail. And after they were released, they then went to Thessalonica. And it tells us, if you look at Acts chapter 17, we, we read that Paul spent three Sabbath days in Thessalonica reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews, explaining to them by, from scripture how Jesus was the Messiah who they had been looking for, who they had been waiting for. And some Jews, a small number of Jews believed what Paul uh, spoke, what he preached. But there were many Greeks and even a large number of what, what uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, calls prominent women who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And that was the formation, that was the beginning of the formation of this church in Thessalonica. But the majority of the Jews resisted Paul's message and they were so angry, they got together a mob and they went after Paul. They went looking for him. They couldn't find him, and but but they went looking for him. And so for Paul's own safety, he and Silas and those with him, Timothy was another one with him and Luke, they had to leave Thessalonica uh, and they had to leave that fledgling church after maybe two weeks, three Sabbath days, at most three weeks Paul had to spend with that young church. And then he had to leave. And uh, so that's the background of this letter that was written to the church in Thessalonica. Now, the two aspects of the gospel that frame what Paul uh, says here and that shape what he says are, are these. And we've seen, as we have seen many times, the gospel is much more than just believing in Jesus Christ, being forgiven of our sins and receiving eternal life. Um, that is the beginning. That is the starting point. But the gospel is much more than that. When we receive the gospel by faith, we enter into a completely new life, a life that is alien to this world. Did you know that? I'm going to turn me down a little bit here. Um, sorry. Okay, is that better? Can you still hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> where was I? Uh, we receive the gospel. Okay, we, we become what Paul says. This is, we, we, it's an alien life. We receive a new life that is an alien life to this world. And we become, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5.17, a new creation. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. And because of that, in Romans 8, Paul speaks of us groaning in this broken world. We groan as we see what goes on around us. And we're waiting in in anticipation of Jesus' second coming when our corruptible bodies will be raised as incorruptible bodies and we will live together on the new earth. That hope is what sustains us through the good and the bad times that we experience in this life. And that hope pretty much bookends what Paul uh, says here. 
If you look at verse 19 in chapter 2, he says this, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not you, even you, in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? It's that anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. That's at the beginning of what he says. And then at the very end, the last verse of chapter 13, Paul says this, So that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness, before our God and Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So at the beginning of what Paul says, he's talking about the second coming of Christ. At the end of what Paul says, he's talking about our hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is a major force, a major, dri- a major driving force in Paul's life anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ, and it's evident as he begins and ends this passage. Is it a major driving force in your life? Are you anticipating eagerly the return of Jesus? Are you watching as Jesus told us? Are you watching and waiting for Jesus to come? Are you expecting him to come any day and hoping that maybe it's today? Paul was, and Paul encouraged all the believers he he had contact with to do the same. We need to be waiting and anticipating eagerly the coming of Jesus. So that's the first aspect of the gospel that shapes what Paul tells us in this text. But there's another, a second, very important aspect of the gospel that also shapes it, and that is the reality of suffering for or suffering because of the gospel. This is what he says in verses uh, 2 through 4 of chapter 3. We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, we were with you. We, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. And then again in 3.7, he says, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. Again, this reference to suffering because of the gospel. I have not yet found anywhere in the New Testament, where we are promised that if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are going to have a wonderful, healthy, pain-free, prosperous, happy life. I have not found that once. But over and over and over again, we are told that we will suffer. Jesus himself told his disciples If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And it fills the New Testament. This reality is a major component in what Paul is telling us here, too. So these two aspects of the gospel that formulate what Paul writes here are the second coming of Jesus Christ and the reality that as we await that second coming, we will suffer for our faith in Christ We will suffer for the gospel. Now that was a long introduction. 
Now it's time to get into the text, okay? We'll get into the, the, the meat now, all right? And I want to begin with the first section, the, the section that I titled A Grievous Separation. Paul begins this by writing, But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit. And we were all the more eager with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, but Satan hindered us, he says. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard translation of the Bible, and Paul says here, having been taken away from you. The English Standard Version, which is our Pew Bible version, says torn away. I've been torn away. The Greek word, the translation of the Greek word actually means to be bereaved of a loved one. In other words, to lose someone in death and to be bereaved, to be grieving over that loss. That is what Paul is saying here. He's, he's saying that he's deeply grieved by the fact that he had to leave these believers behind long before it was time for him to go. And this involuntary separation for him was like unexpectedly losing someone in death. And so he, he says that he tried to get back to them, but Satan hindered him. Now, we don't know exactly what he meant by that. He doesn't tell us why or in what way he was prevented from going back to Thessalonica. But he says Satan hindered him. And he says in three one that it was weighing on him so much that he could not endure it any longer. And so even though he couldn't go, he sent Timothy to find out about them, to strengthen them, to encourage them, he says, in their faith. And then the text tells us why this separation was so grievous to Paul. The first reason was because these fellow believers were the people who brought joy to Paul's heart. Did you see that? Did you notice that? Who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his, at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Paul was grieved and missing these people because these people were the ones who brought joy to Paul's life. Most commentators emphasize here that Paul was expressing his concern, excuse me, was expressing his concern that the Thessalonian believers would remain faithful until the coming of Christ and so confirm the efforts of his ministry. In other words, it would be proof that his ministry was, was effective. And they had come to faith through Paul's preaching and he wanted that to to be kind of uh, a confirmation that his ministry was worthwhile. He was accomplishing what God intended for him. And the, per- the first part of what he says does anticipate him being together with them at, at the coming of Christ. But the, the last sentence, for you are our glory and joy, if you notice, is in the present tense. You are right now our glory and joy. And the commentators also agree that this is an expression of Paul's deep love for these people. And it's this deep love that drives his desire to be with them face to face. And twice he speaks of that. He says, 
all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Verse 17 of chapter 2, and then verse 10. Uh, praying earnestly, most earnestly, that we may see your face. Paul is expressing here to the Thessalonian believers that they, as faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, bring the greatest joy to his heart. And that's why this separation from them is so grievous to Paul. But there's a second reason why Paul is not only grieved by this separation, but deeply concerned by the separation. And he expresses it in three five. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul had been driven from Thessalonica by persecution. And if you go back to Acts 17 and read the account, as I mentioned earlier, there was a mob looking for Paul, and when they couldn't find him, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers from Thessalonica before the authorities, and this is what they accused them of. Acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So these young believers, now imagine this. They've only been saved a maximum of two and a half to three weeks. They just came to faith in Christ through Paul's preaching. And now they're being dragged in front of the authorities and being accused of sedition against Caesar. So you can understand why Paul was so concerned for them and why he reminded them that he had warned them that they would, in fact, suffer affliction for their faith in Christ. But he was worried because they were so young in their faith. He knew that Satan would attempt to use that affliction to discourage them and draw them away from Jesus Christ. And that is why he could endure it no longer, as he says. And he sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage them. And that brings me to the next section, Paul's second emphasis, good news. Good news. Timothy went to Thessalonica and returned with a report on the believers there. And much to Paul's delight, it was a good report. <laughs> Proverbs twenty-five twenty-five says, Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. That's what it was like for Paul. First Timothy tells Paul that their faith and love are continuing to grow. They hadn't been discouraged. They hadn't been turned back by the affliction that they were suffering. He says that this persecution, or Timothy says, or Paul says this, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he has brought us good news of your faith and love. The persecution hadn't hindered them. Instead, they were persevering in their confidence in the gospel. They were conducting themselves in a manner that visibly demonstrated their love for one another. And then secondly, Timothy told Paul also that they think kindly of Paul and are longing to see him just as he was longing to see them. 
They wanted to see Paul face to face, just like Paul wanted to see them face to face. And these two bits of good news brought about two responses then from Paul. He says, hearing this good news, it is a comfort and a joy to his heart. Even in the midst of his own afflictions, he says, verses 7 through 9, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live, if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before God on your account? So Paul gets this good news about the believers in Thessalonica, and it just revives him. I mean, it just brings him joy. He's filled with joy hearing how well that they are doing and how much they love him and how much they want to see him as much as he wants to see them. And so then the second response that we see from Paul is that it fueled his desire to be with them even more. And he says in verse 10, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. This good news about his brothers and sisters in Christ in Thessalonica eased his mind, comforted his heart, brought him joy, and intensified his desire to be with them. And so then he closes out this section of his letter, with this gracious benediction. And I call it a gracious benediction because Paul is appealing to the grace of God for the desires that he's expressing. He first, his first desire is what he expressed both where he was grieving his separation and where he was rejoicing in the good news about them. It's the same thing, that they would be together again. Now, may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. He wanted to be with them. And his second desire is that the Lord would cause them to increase and abound in their love for one another and for all people. And then his third that we see in this benediction is that God would establish their hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is appealing to the grace of God that these believers would persevere in their faith, even all the way until the coming of Jesus Christ. And notice that twice he appeals to God as Father. He opens it with Father, and he closes it with Father. The emphasis again is on this relationship that we have with one another. We are God's children. God is our Father. And Paul understands that it is only by the grace of our Father that we can live pleasing to Him and ultimately that we will be able to stand before Christ on the final day. I said that I titled this message, Our Most Important Earthly Relationship. And I believe that is what Paul is modeling here for us. I don't think anyone would argue against the fact that Paul loved Christ first. And he loved the church second. He gave his life for the building up of the church as a loving act of obedience to Jesus whom he loved. And I think that 
that particularly his emphasis on our eternal hope, the second coming of Christ, brings our relationship to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ into the forefront. This uh, that is the relationship. Our relationship with one another as brothers and sisters will ultimately define us in eternity. Did you know that? We will, that, that's our definition for eternity. We will be brothers and sisters in Christ living in the presence of our heavenly father with our firstborn elder brother, Jesus Christ. That's our eternal relationship. And that's why I believe that it is our most important earthly relationship. Now, I do not fully understand these things, and nor can I confidently confidently describe for you what it will look like to live together on the new earth. I, I don't know. But I do know that when Jesus was confronted by the Sadducees and the Sadducees who denied the resurrection, and then they used this illustration of a woman who had been married and widowed to seven brothers, and then they asked Jesus, okay, Jesus, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? She had seven husbands. And Jesus answered this, and I love his answer. He said this, Is this not the reason you are mistaken? I love that. Isn't that great? You're wrong, guys. And is this not the reason you're wrong that you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, I'll tell you, part of this disappoints me because I love my wife. My wife, Judy, is my favorite person on this earth. And we have wonderful times together. But in the resurrection, that relationship's going to be changed. I don't know how it's going to be changed. I don't fully understand how it's going to be changed. But they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels of heaven, Jesus said. So my point is, our earthly relationships with that, which are vitally important to us right now, will be different when we reach eternity. And the defining relationship for us will be that we are all children of God. When you stop to think about it, you will only have an eternal relationship with your earthly family if everyone in your earthly family is a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In eternity, your mother, your wife, your daughters will be your sisters in Christ. In eternity, your father, your husband, your sons will be your brothers in Christ. Now, I'm not pitting these relationships against each other. In fact, my wife instructed me (laughs) to be sure to let you know that I am not saying that you should allow your love for the church to cause you to neglect your family. And I always do what my wife tells me to do. (laughs) So I want you to know in the strongest terms that is not what I am saying. 
love for Christ shapes our loves for our love for others and loving one another includes loving your family. It's just that what we see in Paul here is a deep abiding love for fellow believers that literally transcends all other earthly relationships because God's family is an eternal family. And we are, we are then entered into eternal relationships. Paul deeply grieved his separation from his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what brought, it brought him deep grief to not be able to meet together with his brothers and sisters in Christ. Does it cause you deep grief to be separated from each other? Is it a grievous situation for you when you cannot come and meet together? You know, for about five months, we were unable to gather together as a church. And I'm telling you, what a grief it was for me to stand here in the pulpit as I was your pastor then and preach to an empty room so that we could post it online. I mean, I'm thankful that for technology that we were able to do that. <clears throat> but I'm telling you, it was horrible. I'll just be honest with you. It's so much better to stand up here and to see your faces, to be able to step down from this platform and to speak with you face to face. That's what Paul is talking about here. But I'm afraid that some people have kind of gotten used to not getting together with the people of God. And and I'm saying it's so important. It is most important to gather together as, as fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, to worship our God and Father and to encourage and help and strengthen each other. We need to see each other face to face to encourage and strengthen one another in our Christian walk. As I was finishing up this preparation for, for today, <clears throat> I actually received a text message from my daughter Ruth, and I asked her if I could share this with you. <laughs> she said it was okay. But basically, she, she sent us, Judy and me, a, a link to a song that she said this song expresses how she feels about our church. And this is an artist I've never heard of, Gavin DeGraw. Have any of you heard of him? <clears throat> it's a song called Brother. And I just want to read a few words to you, okay? Brother, let me be your shelter. Never leave you all alone. I can be the one you call when you're low. Brother, let me be your fortress when the night winds are driving on, be the one to light the way, bring you home. And then these are the actual words of the, just the TikTok snippet that Ruth sent. And when you call and need me near, saying, where'd you go? Brother, I'm right here. Uh, and on those days when the sky begins to fall, you're the blood of my blood. We can get through all. God, by his grace, has brought us into an eternal family relationship with him 
and with each other. Let us faithfully love one another, encourage and strengthen one another, and find deep and abiding joy in one another as we eagerly await for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who will usher us into the presence of our Heavenly Father to live together eternally with Him. Let's establish and grow and flourish that relationship right now until the day when Jesus comes. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are amazed at the depth of your love for us. That we, your enemies, have now, because of the sacrifice that your Son, Jesus Christ, made for us, we have become your children and you love us. You've wiped away the enmity between us and you have embraced us as your daughters and sons for eternity. I thank you for that. I praise you for that, Lord. I pray that you will, you will cause that to grow deeply within our own hearts and minds. An understanding of that would grow deeply in our own hearts and minds. And Lord, may we not only embrace you with love because of what you have done for us, but may we embrace one another with love. And I pray, Lord, for those who have lost the habit of coming and meeting together with us. Lord, I pray that you would stir their hearts and impress upon them their need to see their brothers and sisters face to face so that we might strengthen, encourage, and help one another as we walk this path. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace and for the fact that we belong to you and that we belong to each other. May we rejoice in that truth, those truths. In your name I pray. Amen.